episode. Okay. And three, two. We're just trying to change the world here, people. Oh, really? Facebooking and the tweeting and the Instagramming, all that would not exist. Tell us when to stop this. <laughs> stop talking. It's an insult. You mean true for you, it's different from true for anybody else. Have yeah, something absolutely, to because I can't think that it must be true or not. I can't, no, no. Welcome to O'Reilly Radio, show 150 for Friday, April 7th. 2017, where everything is broken. Everything in my shop here, everything on my desk is not working properly. So we have cobbled together the best show that we possibly can. There are no notes, so there's a stream of consciousness. We're just going to ranty, rant, rant on everything that's going on. So I'm Andy Cowan. I'm your host. I'm, I've gathered my, my top team here, the, the greatest <laughs> minds, the smartest people, the best people. I've got to uh, go. <laughs> I, I, I can feel that this show is going to be huge. Huge! I got Fred huge. Sims, I've got David O'Connor, Amber Besecker, and Daniel Atherton. And eventually, should technology gremlins shut up and go away, then we'll have Stephen Griffith as well. <clears throat> um, no guarantees on that front. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, for from everything that I'm gathering, uh, this has been a pretty bad week. It's been a rough week. Pretty rough week? Okay. So um, when you say rough week, what do okay. you mean by that? Well, let, let, let's do a quick, quick rundown. Um, um, so we got the, 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 the top headline should be the uh, sarin gas released on Syrian civilians. That That's probably the lead. Um, okay. Then we have the response by Trump, which was the uh, tomahawk strike on the airbase, a proportional target, but without getting Congress's approval. Um, then let's see here. Before that, uh, we've had the jobs numbers come in for this month. They're way down. Surprise, surprise. Mm. Um, and so let's see here. The not turtle man, McConnell pushing through with the quote-unquote nuclear option to get Gorsuch um, nominated and stopping the filibuster for a Supreme Court nominee. Rewriting the rules. Um, I, I have a quick question. I'm sorry. Are we broadcasting anywhere? Because no. Twitch is saying... Oh, okay. No. Because uh, we're not broadcasting live. Because okay. broke sauce. Because they would hear you, but they wouldn't hear me. Or Fred. Okay, because I had else. some people that were sitting on Twitch, and they're like, yeah, we're not seeing anything. I'm, I'm sorry about So I'll that. just tell them. Yeah, That's just fine. I'll just let, tell them. Yeah, let them know that um, things things are horrible. And, uh, yeah. So, probably a new board. A new soundboard is in my future, and, and the show's future. Yeah. So, <clears throat> okay. So, back to, uh, back to the um, world report here. Um, so, the sarin gas... That was done by Assad in Syria, attacking yes. essentially his own people. Uh, to give a little quick summary um, from a few analysts over at Politico and CNN um, and Wall Street Journal. In everybody else's mind, 
him doing this is incredibly stupid. Uh, for those in the intelligence circles, they say with Assad's regime, what this was, um, you have a bunch of refugees uh, from different cities throughout Syria all being gathered under the, the ceasefire accords into this one city. And this was him letting anybody out there who isn't ready to live under his regime know no one can protect you. You are not safe unless you get on board. And the okay. Assad regime sees the international outrage and the loss of the airfield as a minor setback. A minor setback. Yeah, I, I, I seem to recall that uh, at least a, a news release said that it was anticipated and that things were done beforehand to mitigate extraordinary damage and that it worked, essentially. Yeah. Now, I, I've, I've also seen that there was um, multiple strikes with uh, tomahawks, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yes. So um, something like 59, 59. 59 tomahawks were launched. Okay, and those are half a million dollars each. Roughly, or, yeah. Yes. Okay, so five hundred thousand dollars, a missile. All right, just um, just the categorize. Low it. number is if you want to wipe out the entire thing. Um, significant structural damage and make sure that it could never be used again. You needed thirty. Okay, that's that's where that number was though, because I, I heard like twenty nine or thirty missiles initially, and then they obviously thirty is is what is necessary. They used at least fifty. Well, we're all about overkill, aren't we? Well, uh, to put the positive spin on this, um, <laughs> it, this was a proportional target. Um, th- this was an acceptable target within military and the international community. Um, this is where they are certain the launch was, the attack was launched. So they are taking away the airbase and whatever material was there. Uh, so this was an acceptable target. It, it was a military target. It wasn't a civilian target. There was no risk to American personnel mm-hmm. and anyone who would have been in the blast zone would have been part of the Assad regime. If there were any people present, it, in most people's minds, the place had already been evacuated. So, okay, in most people's minds, which means that we're getting speculation. We have no hard numbers. Yeah, as to no hard numbers as to 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 lives lost. Uh, but we're fairly certain that place is no longer on a map. Okay, and this was one of multiple targets. Uh, from the report from Wall Street Journal is um. On Wednesday, Trump asked uh, the Security Council to get him three options by the end of the day. Um, He eliminated one, chose to, said, focus on those two. I will make a decision by the end of the day Thursday. I think he eliminated two, because didn't he also get Steve Bannon off the the committee? (laughs) The the Bannon thing... um, Quick aside, we, we've heard three separate reasons as to his ousting, one being McMaster, 
one being yeah. Kushner and his aides playing against him. And the third, and the most likely, in my opinion, is Trump was tired of seeing the President Bannon memes and decided to pull up his big boy pants and show a sign of force. I, w- I would say probably a little bit from all the columns right there. Yeah, but yeah, that's, the, the most like likely culprit... Storm. Most likely culprit is tired of the President Bannon nonsense. Um, yeah, yeah, he is definitely driven by his ego in, in all things so far. Uh, so back to the back to Syria. Um, so there's been a lot of um, feedback, let's say, on on this action. The con- conservatives seem to be divided on it. Uh, yes, as as is expected. Yeah, I, I see a lot of a lot of uh, also the, the more the liberal Democrat wing is also seeming to be fairly divided on. Some are saying that it's a great idea that we absolutely had to do it, like Hillary is saying that. Yeah. And then others are, why are you bothering with this? You know, as I alluded to earlier, with you know those are five hundred thousand dollars a piece, the weapons, and you shot something that may not do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, is that an effective use of power? You're not getting the best deal, kind of thing. Well, um, you know, so so I think this this might be chalked up very well to a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of situation. You have this, to show something. Yeah, you have to show something because sarin gas against children in your in a country that's not something that's palatable to anyone with a conscience. Yeah. Um, and going back to the 2013. Thin red line um, scenario mm-hmm. um, where there was a a chemical attack back then. Right. I, I think um, over a thousand died on that occasion, right? Yeah, that seems. And bad, yeah. Obama did seek approval; he was denied. I recall uh, that. Yeah. 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 See, that's where he went wrong. He should have just trumped it and did it without consulting anyone. But Which he was already getting criticism. He was getting. He was damned if he did, damned if he didn't. Oh, I know. Uh, mm-hmm. And he tried to go through proper channels and was denied. He was trying to play the game. Uh, yeah. And here, Trump superseded Congress, which, again, there's proper flack there. Mm-hmm. But uh, as you said, Andy, something had to be done. Um. Now, one of my favorite shows of all time was The West Wing first season, one of the first episodes is you see President Bartlett grappling with a proportional response. Right. And this is a this is a the sad cold calculus, this is a proportional response. Yeah. This is an acceptable military target that has been taken from the Assad regime. It did not risk any American lives, and the lives that were put at risk were only of those of Assad regime. Oh, yeah, yeah. Militarily, by just the the cold calculus numbers that do not take into effect any... um, Monetary or anything else. No no other, uh, other metrics other than was it a clean kill, basically. Yeah. Then yeah, it, it fits the bill. And Andy, you had mentioned that like nobody with a conscience would uh, 
would be okay with what just happened with that chemical attack. Um, hmm. And I wanted to bring up the fact that Putin came <laughs> oh, out good. and you said, uh, he said Wednesday <laughs> that the toxic gas that killed 83 people and wounded at least 150 in northern Syria the day before was released accidentally when a Syrian airstrike hit a quote-unquote terrorist warehouse containing quote-unquote toxic substances. Um, uh-huh. Which doesn't even make any fucking sense, as no. uh, a friend of mine pointed out, that sarin is stored as binary components and mixed right before yeah. use, yeah. because storing huge drums of poison gas is unwise. It is. And partly, <laughs> and partly because even very pure stocks degrade in a few weeks, uh, at yeah. best. So no, this is a, a binary sarin, chemical compound. Yeah. You are yeah. correct. So if you bomb a sarin warehouse, you know you'll scatter the components, but neither of them behave like nerve gas unless they're mixed. mixed properly. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's just, it's straight up bullshit. Now back um, in the 2013 issue with the, the thousand killed there, um, wasn't it Russia that was in charge of removing the sarin gas stockpiles from Syria? Yes. Yes, they were. So they're not supposed to have any of this anymore anyway, right? Right. So but Russia has it. Right, but Putin saying that they don't have it is covering his ass. Well, what he also see said hat. was... <laughs> I do see the tinfoil hat, yeah. He also said that the arsenal of chemical <clears throat> weapons was destined for fighters in Iraq. Why? Destined for them? Yeah. Like, the 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 stockpile in Syria was going to be moved... Yes. ...there. So... Mm-hmm. We're going to use sarin gas in Iraq instead. What he, what he's, the full quote is according to the objective data of the Russian airspace control, Syrian aviation struck a large terrorist warehouse near Khan Sheikhoun that housed a warehouse making bombs with toxic substances. The arsenal of chemical weapons was destined for fighters in Iraq. They're saying that they were mixing um, talk, chemical weapons in a bombed out area in Syria. With its intended destination going to fighters in Iraq. That is the Russian spin. Yes. Wow. That's I a stretch. Be, I would not be altogether dis- surprised if Russia used sarin gas on the Syrians. I don't think it was Russia because Russia has no reason to do this. They were winning. Keeping America out of this and keeping their puppet com- where they wanted him complacent is what the Russians had in mind. They're not losing, it, though. They're not losing in this in this little avenue. It, it, of, it, they're not losing either because it, it's still politically they, dangerous for Trump to do anything. It's politically dangerous, but also Trump's the devil we know and we like. We don't want we already know he's a bit unpredictable and unhinged that's why we like him but you're speaking possi- for the, the 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 trump supporters that is well, well speaking for the trump supporters in yeah. Russia. okay okay we, we 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 like him we also like him complacent and like you know we give him praises he likes russia and doesn't speak against us mm. Th- this this is more Assad's regime by the analysts from Wall Street Journal, uh, mm-hmm. CNN. British et- intelligence. British intelligence, etc. This, this is Assad. This is Assad going, 
no, I, I have a message to send, and Russia going, you dumb idiot. <laughs> so stop I mean, that. Uh, <laughs> what's also, interesting... Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, quick, quick aside: the 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 Russian response to Trump's launch of missiles um, has been to go. Well, you know, us coordinating with you over airspace, we're suspending that. So midair collisions might be a thing now. Go ahead, fly something. What I wanted to mention was yeah. that. Uh, the Conflict Intelligence Team, which is a, um, a non-profit founded by Russian blogger and activist Ruslan uh, Leviev to monitor the events in eastern Ukraine, um, they're claiming that the Russian media reported repeated use of chemical weapons by rebels in Aleppo in late 2016. Um, they were dropping chlorine bombs wow. on civilians in the Idlib province at least twice. Chlorine, jeez, that's going all the way back to World War One. Mm-hmm. Nice, cheap and plentiful. Yeah. Well, do we have a Steven? Maybe Steven. He's trying. Can you hear me? Ah. Yes. Yes. Though it okay. does sound like you're in a tuna can. <laughs> that's because I am currently using my cell phone with my Bluetooth headset. Ah. Fair enough. Okay. Do what you gotta do. Yeah. <laughs> this is this has been a night of. Um, uh, terrible, terrible technology. Okay, so Mercury must be in retrograde. Well, we are coming up or to Gatorade, a full moon, as or, some would say. Ah, uh, yes, Mer- Mer- launching for the Earth at this point. <laughs> Mercury and Gatorade, absolutely. Okay, <laughs> Mercury is full of electrolytes. Mm-hmm. That's what plants love. <laughs> Crave, <laughs> Crave even. Crave. <sighs> okay, all right. So, um, moving. Moving right along. Uh, so Syria is a, a ball of nasty and is going to continue to get worse before it gets better, if if I'm any judge of things. Yeah. No, this this is a mess. Because um, Russia, in their minds and with their diplomats, thought they had this under wraps. But Assad has proven himself and his regime to not respect any sort of authority or treaty. Um, and the Russians are now going, well, crap. Hmm. Right. Okay. So we'll keep an eye on that. It will be in the news again. So then on to, um, let's see. Oh, yeah, this little thing, uh, Supreme Court. Supreme Court nominee, Neil Gorsuch. <laughs> oh, Gorsuch? Um, yeah, yeah, the, the guy who is now a Supreme Court justice, thanks to... The guy whose Twitter handle is at Gorsuch Facts. Yeah, pretty much. Really? Either at Gorsuch McConnell. (laughs) No, Uh, his Twitter his Twitter handle is is literally at Gorsuch Facts. Gorsuch is just an interesting sound. It's almost like you're you're about to vomit. (laughs) Like Gorsuch. Gorsuch. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I could. I can. I, I. I feel that. I feel that viscerally. Yeah. So, what's the fallout here? Because what they've done is they've... Holy cow. They did the nuclear option, yeah. which yeah. was removing the filibuster. Moving mm-hmm. the filibuster, fo- this, this is specific and specifics matter. Um, specifically, removing the filibuster for a Supreme Court nomination. 
So they rewrote the rules only mm-hmm. for yeah. Supreme Court nominees. Yes. So they kept it for everything else. Well, n- not yep. necessarily because they had previously rewritten rules, um, and it may not have been them specifically, but <clears throat> other votes had already been rewritten so that the filibuster wasn't in effect anyway. So there were right. there are things in um, in there right now that they can vote on that are already a majority vote. So this is just one more thing that they just hadn't gotten the opportunity to go that route on. Huh. Yeah. And this is this is something that I worried about quite a few shows ago when I said, like, how do you effectively fight an enemy who can and will move the goalposts and literally rewrite the rules at every turn? How? How do you do it? You don't fight them directly. What you do in this case is... Sarin gas. While... Well... <laughs> That's how. Sarin gas. Uh, <laughs> short-term solution, probably for the next four years or so, or at least probably at least until the midterms, yes. They have... <laughs> definitely got a hands up in what they're doing and they can push through a lot of things they want. They have the option of the nuclear option for all the other things as well that a filibuster still could come into play on. The problem is every time they pull that trick, um, at some point the government's going to shift back and they're going to have to deal with the repercussions of the fact that they opened that can of worms and they can't stop it. Right now it's looking like there may not be a shift back until at minimum 2020. Yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> until we can really tackle gerrymandering, which is not happening through Congress, but through the courts. Um, yeah. But also, that, it's, that is it, it's the... the uh, though we have an election every two years, and please, yeah. everyone, go out and vote in 2018. For fuck's sakes. You know, you need to. D- do the thing that you need to do. It's your, your civic duty. Um... <clears throat> A lot of uh, a lot of the seats aren't going to be open, especially not in the Senate. Yeah. And in fact, as the Senate is, it'll always be one third every. Right. So, we just uh, you know we just lost our window of opportunity here in Florida. Mm-hmm. So we get Rubio bot to continue for six whole years. Um, uh-huh. And boy, he's Who been so easily bought. But he's yeah he's been so brave with that six year term there. And falling right in line with the rest of the party and not doing anything stand up, even though he just got got reelected. <clears throat> he's going to be there. Didn't yeah. do anything before. I mean, his no. his he mo is up. not showing up for votes. Yeah, I mean, he's he, not showing up to his office here in Florida. Right. Well, I was going to say he, he barely showed up on the campaign trail. Yes, he's too scared. Uh, he's a very fearful man who is very easily bought. And he wants you to know, any of you who can write a check for at least seventy-five thousand, he's open for business. You know, it's it's nice to have a yeah. um, a real concrete kind of price tag, though. You know, at least we know. Yeah, minimum to play the game seventy-five k. Rubio be like, that's going to cost you at least three fifty. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, uh, it's true. It's true, though. Okay. So, really effectively, this did nothing except get in a Supreme Court nominee. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's the icing on top of a shit cake. Yeah. Uh, a Supreme Court nominee who, in his judgments, has ruled against people with disabilities, mm-hmm. has 
ruled in favor of corruption and dark money. And um, is a originalist for the uh, constitutional calls. Uh, he doesn't believe in women's rights. More activist than even Scalia, based on his uh, yes, based on his yep. uh, his history. He's more conservative guy, than Scalia. This guy is a poster child, a template, if you will, for having a villain in a movie. You think he's that bad? Yes. Yes. Disney villain kind of kind of bad. Not 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 Disney villain. I'm I'm saying Bond this villain? is going to be no because he doesn't take the relish. Um, no. <laughs> He's especially dangerous because he comes across uh, as personable and, uh, well, gosh, golly, in his little, you know, Senate hearings. But then what he actually rules on is just downright fucking evil. He's a born villain. Oh. Okay. No, I, I, technically, everything in Washington is a born villain. <laughs> yes, but this one's actually like one of the guys at the top. Look, Fred, I'm tired of your born ultimatums. <laughs> um, this is a guy who you would see in film being played by Brian Cox. <laughs> oh, he's going to be so pissed at that casting. He thinks he's way <laughs> handsomer than that. I hope this goes right to him. Oh, God. Okay. So this is bad because he's also young. He's 44 years old, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is this is where the actual negatives come in. Um, yes, currently the nuclear option sucks, but you it, it is a fact that as the government switches back and forth, both sides are going to get the benefit of that um, in the future. It also sucks that they completely ignored the confirmation of a justice that should have been sitting in that seat. Um, mm-hmm. But realistically, a less crappy justice. Yeah, yeah but, but realistically, crappy. the issue is the fact that he is so young and will sit that seat for so long. Right now, he doesn't even tip the scales on most of the issues that people would truly worry about coming up in the Supreme Court. Those numbers are still going to side on your social justice side, your social awareness side, the the more liberal side of the court. Um, but he does tip the scales when the next justice leaves, which obviously everyone is looking at the notorious RBG as b- possibly being that person. Now yeah. you're seeing the numbers start to switch because you're not going to get rid of Gorsuch anytime soon. So yeah, and uh, not going to get rid of Kennedy. You're not. I don't want to uh, get rid of Kennedy. Uh, Thomas is not going to be going anywhere anytime soon. Unfortunately. Well, you know, so. we we honestly we thought that Ruth Bader Ginsburg was going to go long before Scalia did. Fair. In but in, the, in the re- death pool of of SCOTUS. Yeah, yeah. but Obama, death pool. Obama wasn't you know. trying to kill RBG. <laughs> bad Fred. No bad Fred. Fred, bad Fred. Don't don't even no. Don't feed the trolls. Don't do that. <laughs> oh, they're fat and happy. I don't they have are, to feed anything. They are in fact fat and happy. Um, so, yeah, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is currently 84 years old. Yeah. And frail. She is, she is living for a reason. <laughs> yeah. She, okay. She's that, going to be the that, first one with the Futurama head. Fight. Yeah. The Futurama head in, in the jar is going to be Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, 
Oh man, this is all bad. She the, has a other, reason to live. And the other thing Spite. too, like like Fred had mentioned, um, is that this didn't. These measures, this nuclear option, didn't exist in a vacuum. This is on top of previous measures mm-hmm. to move the goalposts and, and put more power in in the hands of the the majority um, to the point where they don't need to make a bipartisan effort. Um, so it's really just you know like by itself maybe this it would still be bad, but it wouldn't be like so terrible. But now it's the fact that it's it's coupled with all these other things that have effectively done the same thing in other areas and it's just building and building and building and we're going to have a yeah. runaway train very soon. Well, no, that we're, and the, we're, we're the way... a change of politics. Well, I was going to say, it's going to be the way that it bogs down the machine even more. And if you think that government is ineffective right now, wait until you see one side running through everything they want because they don't require <clears> a majority or, you know, they, it can't be filibustered. It only requires the majority. And then when mm-hmm. the other side takes power, they have to spend time trying to roll back what they can before then they can push through what they want to do. So you're just going to end up bogging down what is already a super ineffective system. Mm-hmm. Well, if we look at the demographics of what the house is right now, because the house is the one that, that turns over a lot. Shifts. Yeah. yeah. We've got in there the Freedom Caucus, which, as we know, is the rebranded Tea Party, you know, really aligned as a coalition. That's about 30 people, which is a significant number of people. That's a significant number of votes. That's enough yeah. votes to sway it one way or the other. Oh, it's enough votes that you have to be paid attention to, that right. people are going to have to come and like court you. Yeah, essentially, mm-hmm. like they're going to need you to make things move in one direction. Um, and they have one particular direction that they want. Right, and it's super right. It's like, super right. Very right. Um, not as incorrect. Let let's let's uh, let's correct the refrain there. It is definitely not correct. But the it is way right are the wing. people who would kill your mother for a dollar. I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, that would be the minimum wage for any job. So, and it is just your mom, so women don't count. Oh wow, this all went way dark. Way dark. I blame <laughs> the original poster. The what? Welcome to 2017. Mm. Nothing actually matters. Mm, there you go. There you go. There. Bringing it all back around. Mm-hmm. Oh boy! So, um, wow. Well, you know, I was trying to make that as an upshot that the the right wing constituents, you know, the the whole GOP uh, is fractured and fragmented, so even worse than it, it's even worse than the Democratic side. Uh, I the would disagree. Thing, yeah. I think the Democrats are, are way more fractured um, and getting more so by the day. Well, in voting for Gorsuch, at least you know in in the in the Senate, of course, there were th- only three dissenters. Everybody else, it was straight party yeah. vote. Yeah. <clears throat> so but, yeah, what I'm looking yeah, forward to is so polarized. as we start to see is the the voters thinking they're finally getting what they want and then by getting their people in there and watching their lives go to hell. Now if we can just hope that they have a moment of 
wait a minute, I voted for, like some of them have had where the wait, I voted for this guy, I wanted this to happen, but there's other things happening that's screwing me. What the hell? Yeah, but and they're not going to vote uh, Democrat. They're, ne- they're never going to vote Democrat. They'll vote they for whatever vote... new Republican or third party. We'll see. I, I keep prepared. my fingers crossed that some will go, wait a minute. No. no. Nope. Um, as we we have said time and time again, and a few are, are starting to even acknowledge this within the conservative movements, they are a fear-based party. That is what and the psychologists say. Yeah. They and what all the advertising says. Everything. Yeah. They are a fear-based party. And they are easily led by fear and appealed to by fear. Democrats do not frame their arguments through fear. No, it's Republicans supposed to be logic and reason. Do. Yeah. Until the Democratic Party can actually frame their arguments that will reach these people, they're not going to vote Democrat. Mm-hmm. You have to have a culture shift in how the Democrats market themselves to make this work. And on what the very liberal side is starting to understand it. The more moderates, centrists, on the right wing of the Democratic Party have not caught on. What would you suggest as an alternative to Democrats trying to do the same thing? Because you can't, you can't use their message with fear. It doesn't work. Because yes, you can. The conservative side of things, they they work through fear. Everything is going to be taken away from you or done to you. These are things you have to look out for. That's not how it's going to work on the liberal side because you can, the whole point of them is to make things more balanced. You're not, you know, there's nothing to fear there. There's plenty to fear when you frame things properly. Um one of the, vote, the, the arguments that I'm starting to make with a few conservatives that are willing to actually talk to me um, is for universal health care. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the argument I have been making is you want universal health care just in case. What well, happens yeah. if you lose your – what happens if you lose your job? It's, How are you – and you have something happen to you. You're not going to have the health insurance. So just in case you want universal health care uh, or you pass away, what about your kids? Do you what remember you when your job? parents died? Do you remember when your grandparents died? How yeah. did that go? So the just in case argument is a through fear argument, which can be framed for democratic purposes. I just I I don't know if it'll work, and I don't know your um, your success rate in those conversations. But here's the way I look at that: when you are presenting the just in case, when you present the just in case to a liberal, like I don't want universal health care just in case anything happens to me. I want universal health care in case something happens to Andy, or something happens to Stephen, or something happens to my wife. That's what I want universal health care for. Those yeah, conservatives again, that you're talking to are yeah. – when you say just in case, 
that's never going to happen to me. It's only they're only thinking about themselves and yeah. they have the thought that it's never going to happen to me. So I don't have to worry about it. You can say just in case all you want, but I'm bulletproof, baby. Well, that's why the argument well, you don't has have to, to worry be about it back no, to them. You don't, don't have to worry about it being connected to the person themselves. But if they have an ancillary connection like, hey, your wife, your kids – but, you know, but that's what I'm saying. It has to, it has to be a personal connection. That. It does, but they how far does that, their bubble extend? Like, it's not going to happen to us. The just-in-case argument works wonders for gun sales. Uh, the just-in-case argument that I have been making that has been the most successful is going after the kids. Mm-hmm. How very it Catholic going, of you. No, I'm sorry. That was wrong. <laughs> it, it's yeah, going, cut that audio. That's real creepy. <laughs> It's going after oh. that genetic legacy. Tip. Oh, that. <laughs> <laughs> that hat is so pimp. Okay. So um, now one other thing. You know, we don't want to abandon, though, the base of the, oh, no. of the liberal, democratic, logical person. So the thing to do is that all of these then emotional appeals, because – Let's be honest. Yes. We have to unfortunately use these the logical fallacies to our advantage in these arguments. So what motivates the Republican Party, the Republican mindset, the conservative mindset is appeals to emotion, appeals to authority. You appeals know, to fear. Appeals to fear. The, those motivators are those are the hot buttons. Those are the ones that you need to click and learn to touch type on. And mm-hmm. and yeah. with uh, <laughs> but at the same time, just because you're tweaking those those buttons doesn't mean you have to lie. It doesn't mean right. that you're wrong in any way. Exactly. You just need to frame it as um, an appeal to emotion. You, right. you, can take, fact. you can take very real world, real statistically mm-hmm. provable things mm-hmm. and use a fear-based argument yeah. to paint those as this is why you want. X or Y. Yeah, think of uh, think of the 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 appeal. The lo- think of the logical fallacy, as it were, as the nutcracker. That's yeah. what will get you through whatever hard shell that they've wrapped themselves in in conservative ideals. The bubble, and then it gets you through the bubble. Yeah, and then once they say, "But could that really happen?" That's when you say, "Oh yeah," and here's all the data. But the thing that you you also need to appeal to if you're trying to convert <laughs> is uh, – which I personally think may be a waste of time. But um, there are arguments is there anger? That. Yeah. There is so much anger that is fueling these people. So much. Though um, so I will say in my arguments I have not encountered an angry conservative yet. Well, oh, okay. But – Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. I mean, look at look at the people that they listen to. They listen to yeah. Bill O'Reilly. They listen to Rush Limbaugh. They listen to Alex Jones. They listen to these angry motherfuckers who blow up at the slightest provocation. And then you had the Tea Party, which operated almost completely on an anger, anger. principle. Um, you also have to address um. that because that anger has its roots in some of it is, is very much fear based. And then some of it is just decades of conditioning to hate anybody who isn't them because they're taking they don't something. work as hard. They you're, aren't. They're having good. to combat the southern strategy. Yeah. Yeah. And you it's know, they, legacy. Yeah, and, and just you know, 
the fact that it's been drilled into their heads that all these other people are scamming them somehow or right. taking something away from them. Like the immigrants are taking our jobs. Black people are taking welfare away from deserving whites, you know, that kind of thing. And that's not necessarily as fear-based. I mean, there is a scarcity yes. element to that, yeah. there, which is fear-based, but most of that is just the idea of, man, look at how they're offending you. It's look at what they're doing ideology. To you. Yeah, it's twisting yeah. the ideology around, and it's, and for twisting conflict. it, and for twisting it, just like how you're supposed to use your opponent's weight and emotion and aggression against them in judo. Essentially, we need to do the same thing, but politically. So they're all they're uh, already fired up, they're already in that mode of hating the other, whatever it is. You know, otherness in in general is always a fantastic ploy. And it's been used to great great effect. So use that momentum and shift it just a little. Every time you talk to them, just shift it a little bit. Give them a, a different avenue to move the entire river of hate. Well, the, one of the things that you can do and, and was done to a minor effect um, back when... Uh, w was running for office the first time. Uh, was going after lobbyists. That was one of McCain's big ploys and why he was an actual threat. Oh, you uh, mean to get money out of politics? Yes. He, he was, that, that's why they called him the Maverick. Was he was, his platform was at that time finance reform. Mm-hmm. And getting all these dark monies and corporate interests that are poisoning your children and poisoning your politics out of here. Yeah, that didn't do so well, unfortunately. <clears throat> it, it it got a lot of moderates to him, but not enough. Well, the other the other thing you have to consider too, and this is where I think this is where I think the the real hurdle is, and I honestly don't have a good solution for it. Um, off the top of my head. But I think one of the biggest hurdles that anybody is going to face with any attempt at making these people see reason is that it's so easy for them to tune out and insulate themselves with where they get their information from. I mean, we have because we have like plenty of people out there in the media and otherwise who are saying these things, Mm -hmm. but conservatives don't have to listen. It's not required. They don't have to. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. don't have to watch Trey Crowder who like Trey Crowder is their fucking demographic. He's uh, a fucking poor redneck um from uh like an Appalachian community who were affected by the drug war um and I mean he should by all rights be like super conservative and he isn't. And like that should appeal to them in some form or fashion and it doesn't. Um it's, it's not enough to to simply look and act the part. You have to sound like a Republican and still somehow espouse progressive ideals. I mean, maybe, I but I'm just saying. Enough. Yeah, I'm just saying that there is so much of this information that's already out there, and not just in a Googleable form. It's out there where people are actually saying it on TV, on the yeah. radio, whatever. But they can just ignore it, which yeah, they do. Yeah, they're not explicit. We, we don't have 
progressives and liberals do not have an answer to Bill O'Reilly and Alex Jones and Rush Limbaugh and Glenn Beck. I mean, we have Uh, the Healy Show and Samantha Bee and things like that. We have we have people we have pundits that are we we have are wonderful that speakers. appeal to liberal and progressive audiences. And when you're comparing the two methods of getting that information out, it's not going the, to ring as true. When Alex Jones, who is the epitome of a domestically violent spouse because when he blows up i mean if you listen to him when he blows up he rages and then is you know i'm sorry i'm sorry yeah no that's not me that's just real quick audience just go ahead and and google image search red hulk alex jones (laughs) no i i agree with what fred is saying as a woman and as as uh, a woman who is the survivor of uh, domestic and intimate partner violence, it terrifies me. It immediately hits that that uh, fight or flight response in me. Like I, the adrenaline happens and the muscles seize, and um, my heart starts beating even faster than it does because I have a heart problem, and it turns my stomach and like I can feel the very you know visceral need to fight or run from that situation every time he does it because it is such a trigger as you know somebody who has been through that it is downright abusive the whole explosion and then oh i'm sorry i'm sorry and it's just it's creepy as fuck like it's very upsetting unfortunately it's easier to sell that to the mat to the masses as hey look at this stuff that was just said even if it's being sold as can you believe this batshit stuff that alex jones just said it's going to get a mm-hmm. wider voice the daily show is good but i don't i don't dislike trevor noah but it's not the same as when john stewart was there samantha no, b is good well, even, you need larry wilmore to have there, a bigger he voice he even when john stewart was at the helm he still didn't really change any conservatives' minds. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, is that yeah. no matter who we... We've had people, and we still have people who are out there um, who are the Alex, liberal version, mm. I would say, of an answer to these people, but nobody it's, tunes into that who's well, not already not, liberal. Okay, it's no, not the liberal answer, it's simply the liberal version, and it appeals to a... To the liberal demographic, yeah, but, but, does but not we're talking around. We're talking around in circles because the yeah. people that are the people that are watching Alex Jones, Alex Jones and Rush Limbaugh in particular. Okay, he's got an audience. He's got a demographic. He's not convincing them of things that are new, other than maybe that lizard people are taking over Washington, an actual theory that he's exposed. And at the same, on the same other side of the coin, you've got. Trevor Noah and all the comedians on everywhere that they have their demographic too. And they're not changing minds there. They're speaking to the converted. It's, yeah. yep. it's just, they, they, they are the pastors yeah. of their church. Yeah. And, and that's nobody what I mean shows is... up at the church unless they, they already believe in it. Right. And that's what I mean is that I, I don't think I, I don't, Personally, and this just may be me not having an imagination when it comes to this because I'm so honestly fucking sick of people at this point (laughs) in my life um, as just a general rule, um, not specifically you people. You people are great, but um, just people in mass um, I have no faith in 
but it, I, I don't see how you can start converting people now when the seeds of this damage that we're reaping now have been sown over decades and decades and decades. And I don't think anybody from the conservative side is going to come over um, in any significant number, even if you did manage to have, I mean, I don't know, a, a, a liberal voice who was also somewhat moderate. Like I, I just, I don't uh, think that's feasible. I, I don't what happens when something te- terrible happens to them. And they look to their conservative voices, and they go, "You're oh. out of luck." Okay, hang on, but, hang on. I got an idea. Sometimes, a little, little, little thought experiment here. Okay. Now, our listeners are probably also in the same sort of liberal mindset that we are, because we appeal to them. Therefore, we're talking about the things that they're interested in, etc. I'm curious. Why are we the way we are? Why are we not conservatives? I know, St- Stephen, you grew up in a conservative household. Daniel, you were liberal my, household, wasn't, wasn't it? My, my mother is more liberal than I am. Interesting. Okay. Well, put a pin in that. <laughs> David? Mostly conservative household. Okay. Fred? Um, I mean, I grew up in a household of virtually no expressed opinions. Really? Yeah. It, like I, my mom somewhat agrees. Hard to fathom. Yeah, my mom <laughs> somewhat agrees with things I said, but or or say or or think, but she also disagrees with plenty of things. Like uh. one of the big things that we argued about was when Bernie was running in the primary. She could not get on board. She saw that word socialism uh, and was immediately against it. So, I mean, there are – and it's it's weird. It's it's So it's kind of hard to pin her down, especially because I also grew up in what was essentially a non-religious household, but she's a believer. She holds all these beliefs that never get talked about. So it's mm-hmm. essentially a household of unexpressed opinions. I, I, I know that feeling. Amber, how's your, uh, what's um, your, your background there? My immediate family, so my mom and my dad, um, very conservative, and most of the extended family as well, with the exception of my grandfather on my father's side. Okay. Since I ended with you, I'm going to start with you. Now, why are you different from from their ideology? Um, to be honest with you, I, I think just for me personally, it was a matter of access to information. Um I started out uh, as very staunchly conservative, moved to libertarian, and then went to progressive because I actually took the time to look into uh, some of this shit. Once it, once I started to see that like things were not congruent with what I was being told versus what was actually happening, I would take the time to go research these things and realize, like, wait a minute, none of this is adding up. What side does it add up on? Oh, wait, it's this one. Um, and that's kind of when I when I shifted gears. I will say one of the most uh, interesting and, and probably disturbing things, having made that switch, was um, the way that it affected me as a woman. Because... Um, there's a very paternalistic, not just patriarchal, but paternalistic element to conservatism where if you are a conservative woman, 
on top of everything else, you get very, um, a, a lot of praise for being rational like a man. Or, oh, yeah. Yeah. And so for a very long time, I wanted to continue to be part of that party because it made me feel like I was better, that I was special because women in general were stupid or irrational or too emotional, but not me. And hmm. that's extremely damaging. And I see that in a lot of conservative women and I understand it. Like, like yeah. what's her Tommy Laren? Uh, is that Tommy her name? Yeah. Oh Tommy yeah. She's she learning. suffers from that. She suffers from that a lot. Like I see it. Um, and it makes me sad because it, it's a, a very strong form of brainwashing. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you make people feel special and they'll, they'll pretty much do what you say. Um, and, uh, it, it took a lot for me, um, to emotionally be able to separate myself from that simply because I stopped getting praised as being rational or thoughtful or having any value whatsoever. Um, and it turned into your bleeding heart. You, um, the implication that I had become stupid overnight, um, uh, become soft, become, you know, just like all these other women who were immediately painted as weak. And that's not something that anybody really wants to be, um, is weak. So, um, how I dare mean, you yeah, for having it, an opinion of your own? Yeah, it. It. I, I mean, I would just to sum up. I would. I would just say it was a, a matter of life experience not aligning with what I was being told was the way things worked, and then because you know I was born in '87, I was born during the transition to computers and the internet. I had from a very young age the knowledge of how to look things up, and like look at different news stories and and uh, pull information from uh, a lot of different sources and i think that's what saved me in terms of um staying conservative or, or even as a misguided libertarian um was the ability to and the drive to want to know what the fuck i was talking about Okay, so the information age is really what what did it for you. I would for say me, pretty much the same thing for on my end. I started off conservative, and I studied. I looked at things and watched, and this was all wrong. So, but yeah, I also have, I still have kind of a libertarian bend to it. But at the same time, I realized that like social services are cool, and those don't yeah. work in a libertarian wonderland. So, no. so that's, no. that doesn't work. Uh, government. <laughs> Government is a necessity for infrastructure because private interest has no interest in infrastructure. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So who who wants to go next for what changed you? <laughs> I didn't change. Okay. So you're off the list. <laughs> you're off the list. I mean, I guess he would be, you know, the exception to the rule because what what you're saying with, you know, you started off as conservative and Amber saying she started off as conservative. I, I would be surprised if most of us hadn't started off in some way conservative because when I look back, like I um, turned 18 right before W ran for president. So I was able to vote for the first time during him running for president. Um I voted for him twice. I did. 
Um, Get out. No, yeah. No, it, it, it's just one of those things. And I think when I was younger, I was more of a political front runner. So like all of the stuff with the Clintons, I was too young to really know or understand what was going on or to know the issues or to know, you know, the, the you know, where they stood or liberal versus conservative, any of that. Mm -hmm. But once it seemed like there was a guarantee because that name Bush had already been in the presidency. You know, there was a name behind it. It was, you know, this guy, how is he going to lose? So you start looking at the things they espouse and you take that in. And that, you know, for me, built up what I felt was my standing politically. So I felt at the time like that was a good vote. If I could go back, um, I would punch myself in the dick. Um <laughs> Because that was obviously a terrible, terrible choice. But it, <laughs> retrospect, it's just, it's hindsight's just, always twenty. Right, and it's just one of those things where, again, it follows down the same story both of you guys told. What had to happen is I got older. I looked into more things. I read more things. I experienced more in life. And then all of a sudden, all of the things that I thought were right because that's what I felt as – because I'm fairly certain that the first time I registered, I registered Republican. And I did as well. Um, you know, it was just those things. So when you look at it and you look at things like the death penalty and then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, whoa, maybe not so much. Like, you know, maybe I don't believe as strongly in that as I thought I did. Maybe homeless people aren't a bunch of dirty, you know, disgusting people that need to be thrown into the fire. Maybe. Like all oh, of these into things. The fire. Wow. Yeah. All of these wow. things that you would look at as just being, you know, anti-human beings and you realize – Holy shit, I'm I'm actually a human being too. Like all of these things affect me. And then you get that information and you learn and you grow and then all of a sudden you're like, "Hey, I, I like Amber said, I got no faith in people, but I kind of like people because I'm a people." So, yeah. I need the things that help people to exist because at some point, it may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, someone that is one of my people is going to need that help. So, mm -hmm. you identified with people that were not yourself. I, I usually yeah. do like I people in my life know a very closed off me like I don't show a lot of emotion and I don't let a lot go and I'm very you know everything's a joke to me there's never anything serious so I'm very in a box but my entire existence is to make sure other people are okay I'm the guy that you know, as I stand my big ass in the line in the grocery store and people are like, holy shit, that's a big dude. I'm the guy who's paying for the old lady's groceries behind me if I have the money to do it. You know, and, and I've done that before just because, you know, I, I don't know who that is. Maybe that's someone's grandma who needs the help. Maybe she doesn't need anything. Maybe she's rich as shit and is like, why'd you do that? You know, but that's my thought. I'm the guy who when, you know, I'm going through the academy, you know, for to be a corrections officer, we go to – the you know we go out after taking our state exam and there's two homeless guys that are outside of the bar we're at and I invite them in and buy them drinks and we sit and talk all night about college basketball you know those type of things where everything I do you know it it doesn't change their situation but I bet you it's more than they've gotten from everyone that's looked at them in the last week and and so yeah. that's all I ever to me like that's what goes on inside internally all the time I just want to do for other people even when I can't. And I think, uh, Fred, it, it goes back to something that I've, I've been hearing a lot about lately of the whole, like, 
you know, some people go through life saying, I had to go through this, so why not everybody else? And some people go through life saying, I had to go through this and nobody else should. There it is. Um, yeah. And that, that was very much um, something that I experienced was we uh, – I grew up middle – you know, middle class-ish, um, and there was never going to be any money for me to go to college. Um, there was never going to be any money for me to move out. Um, it was always just going to be, it was drilled into my head from like the time I can remember maybe five or so that I'm on my own and I have to make things happen for me. Nobody's going to help. If I ever needed to know something, my dad for better or worse would be, there's a dictionary, there's an encyclopedia, go look. Um, so for a very long time, you know, when I was younger, obviously not having the developmental ability to see this any differently, I was very much in that mindset of, well, I had to do it. Why, why do I want to make it easier for everybody else? Like, fuck everybody else. I had to go through hell to get here. You know, they're just not trying hard enough. And I, I think with age, like Fred was mentioning, and I, I think with uh, exposing yourself to more information, um, and also just having a twinge of empathy once in a while, um, you come to the point where you're like, this really sucked. And now I can see the source of why it sucked. I always think that's very important is that people know the root of the problem. I think a lot of people know that problems exist. I don't think they know what the root of them are. And I think that's one of the biggest hurdles that we face. But yeah. it, it, it takes the mindset of, I had to go through hell. I don't want anyone else to have to go through that to get to where I am. And I think that's a big turning point emotionally and, uh, you know, even just as a human being. David. Hey. So uh, I had a – it was mostly conservative, but it was an interesting Long? transitional household, I guess you could say. Where my dad was a small business owner. And, and his mom was uh, a giant pleosaur from the Mesozoic era who just wanted true fitty. <laughs> That's going to cost you at least true fitty. <laughs> you got to put that in the jar. You put it in the jar. Okay. Uh, but um, my dad often recounted the story of uh, when uh, George H.W. Bush made it into office. And... Tons of small businesses had their loans called by the banks, and the banks stole those businesses that were in the same neighborhood that he had. He was running his business in, and the banks called our loans, and he fought with the banks and and was able to save his own business, but saw just tons of people around him lose their businesses to the bank, only to have it sold back to them now under new ownership. <laughs> Hmm. Uh, so they, by by the time I was of age to actually vote, there was no love lost between my parents and the GOP. <laughs> it was it was all gone, pretty much. They're hmm. still registered Republicans, uh, but they, as far as I know, they did not vote for GW either time, um, and they more or less hated everything there was to hate about Trump. So, uh, so, but that was, that was them putting together the direct correlation of 
HW came into office and the banks came for all the small businesses in the country and screw in the little guy. And then GW came and it was more of the same stuff and they pointed it out as it was occurring. The, the other thing for me was, uh, I graduated in 2001 from high school. So 2001 is kind of a big year for the United States of America. That's a little bit. A little bit. Uh, so seeing this horrible tragedy befall the country, you know, I'm 18, just, you know, first semester at community college because Mike Amber was saying it was the kind of household where I was going to work. I was going to fight my way for everything that I had, and that's how things were. And, you know, seeing the towers come down and the huge surge of patriotism, and I nearly signed up for the military until I saw where that road was heading and we were going into Iraq. And I thought, this was a whole series of hijackers uh, from a multinational <laughs> global terrorist organization and we're going to sack one country as a response? Like, that made no sense whatsoever. So I was like, yeah, I'll just... I'll keep doing my thing and then just kind of watching from my vantage point as uh, as basically horror befall befell upon a lot of my friends who joined the military and a lot of people who are missing limbs and PTSD mm -hmm. and uh, just terribly scarred from that experience. And, you know, knowing that all of that transpired and was avoidable if we had fought the correct war, the correct way, uh, hmm. and not quagmired ourselves into a mess that was insolvable from the beginning, from the get-go. You can't force democracy mm -hmm. <laughs> onto a people. You can force totalitarianism on them, but you can't force them to accept something they don't want and didn't fight for themselves. Especially so, when their, their legal system, there's their government is also tied so heavily together with their faith. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then their own personal identities are also tied in with their faith. So if you strip one away, then you start to strip all away from everyone. Yep. It's a bad as thing a, to do. Yes, yeah. And as I went down that path of, of, you know, seeing all of these ideals just promoted and hammered, and this is what we have to do as a country and as, as a people, these are, this is what you sign up for. And this is what it means to be a Republican is to support these things. I was like, I don't support any of these things. So <laughs> obviously not that. I don't support these things. What are you talking about? Yeah. It's like, well, that must bound, be great but, on paper, but, but yeah, no. Yeah. The, the whole my way or the highway attitudes, the, mm -hmm. the, uh, unwillingness to bend or accept any other point of view that did not fall in line with what was called down from the pulpit. And mm -hmm. I couldn't do it. Hmm. It's not me. I like that. Steven. You know, we hear a lot of sad stories and hard luck stories from a lot of you guys and going, well, damn, I was really raised in a bit of privilege, wasn't I? I didn't have that. I, I had a very welcoming, very loving family that supported me constantly. The majority of my conservative views came from 
my school more than my parents. Um, they just wanted to send me to a good school. It just happened to be a Southern Baptist one. Um, you know, they were Republicans, but they weren't like the hardcore rah, rah, let's do all these meetings and do everything else. Republicans are just kind of like, we are okay, cool, whatever. Uh, <laughs> let's go vote. Um, but a lot of my views were formed initially by, again, my conservative schooling. And then even when I went to, when I had a, a break in my religious views and became more close to what I am today, I still kept a very hardcore political leaning, which got in a way worse because I fell in with, what shall we say, a bad crowd politically. Um, a bad crowd politically. Well, as in what we would call a bad crowd, and the fact that the people who really loved like Rush Limbaugh and Bill O'Reilly back in those days, yeah. Um, well, so we're not I talking was, like I Hitler Youth that kind of or anything stuff. like that, yeah? <laughs> no, not quite. I, I never learned that much German. Um, okay. But, you know, I... I kind of fell into that ideology, but I also had, you know, a lot of my friends, however, were the more liberal types and couldn't quite really understand why they weren't worried about the death camps. Um, I'm sad to say that was true of my thought process at the time. I want to, again, as Fred said, go back in time and punch myself in the nuts. Um, But the funny thing is, uh, I, I started slowly breaking away and slowly going, okay, let me start having some thoughts of my own here. Let me start doing everything correctly and, and actually researching and learning. And then I started meeting and then really spending time with a person whose house I'm currently sitting in. She was not in a house at the time. Who I call the most politically astute woman I've ever met who we sat down and had a conversation that lasted about four to five hours where I was in the, finally in that mindset to, okay, I'm ready to listen and hear what you have to say. Let's debate. Let's have this conversation. But I'm also rational going, okay, if you give me enough stuff backed up with facts, then obviously I have to change. And over the course of about five hours, she took a sledgehammer to every single one of the, my thoughts and opinions, utterly annihilated them, and then went, here's my opinions, and here's why I'm right, and you can look these up. And I went, well, okay, then I guess I'm liberal now. <laughs> and ever since then, it's been a downward spiral toward militant liberalism. Militant liberalism. Oh, yeah. Uh, That's an interesting concept. But again, concept it's, it's the idea itself. of, it's the whole thing of the, you know, as I was breaking away from the hardcore conservative ideology, I started getting more, it's, I call myself still more of a scientist than anything else. Because it's, okay, I don't care what my opinion is. I don't care what my beliefs are. If you have beliefs opposite of mine and can show me point by point by point by point, why you're right and I'm wrong. And it's verifiable, fact-based, everything else. Here it is. I have to go as a rational person. Huh, crap, you're right. I have to change my opinion now. It is not valid. So actual facts swayed you. But you yes. had to but you had to get to a certain point first. Yes, I it took a long Long time. If we ever want to go into history, I'll, I'll explain my, my old Bible thumping days. They were, they were not pretty. Um, I would have drowned myself. <laughs> um, it seems but, like the common thread between huh. everybody is this sort of like openness to new information. Yeah. And I'm not sure how to quantify that. It took a while though. It's, it's like everything. Like you can hear 
like you reach a dark point in your life or, you know, everything else. And your friends have given you the same piece of advice 18,000 times. And then a perfect stranger comes in and says the same thing. And they're like, yeah, that right moment your brain is in working in the right way, all the right neurons are firing and they say the same thing. And just suddenly it goes click and you go, Oh, and then you realize all your friends have been telling you this whole time. You go, yeah, they were right. Well, I'm a friggin' idiot. All right, let's go. Right, but I'm but I'm saying among us socially, and there's some age variation going on here. But like the diff, all the difference in the world seems to be coming eventually, no matter how long it takes, from an openness to new information and a willingness to be wrong. I, I think it's more that I think it's more that second one that I truly think is out there. It's yeah. the willingness to be able to look at yourself and go, as much as I'm certain of my own capabilities and my own knowledge and everything else, knowing that there's still a chance I might be wrong and being and able I, to accept that fact. Right. And I'm wondering <clears throat> what the source for that was, because we, we all come from a, a variety of backgrounds as far as parenting and, and everything like that. So I'm wondering what the common thread is that links back to that willingness to be wrong. I call it having an emotional spine. Well, I mean, it it depends because it's not necessarily true though. In a way Um, I, I guess technically I have a willingness to be wrong, but I'm not ever wrong. And, and here's the way, <laughs> ooh, well, here's ooh, the way ooh. I, well, no, cause I had this conversation no, with someone the other day that for a drop, that's and all. the way I quantified it is I'm either right because I have the accurate information or I'm right because I'm willing to let you give me the accurate information that's been backed up. Either way, I'm not wrong. Either way, you win because of you eventually come to an even more correct right, position. I'm making the correct decision. Either in well, I mean, providing in- you the information that's accurate or taking the information that you're providing me that maybe shows where mine is inaccurate and going, like Steven said, oh, okay, you're presenting me all this information. This is what my opinion has to now be. I'm still right because I'm willing to listen. Where some of that situation comes up and like you said, the willingness to be wrong is mm-hmm. you – those other – you know. The people that are not willing to be right in that way. No, no, there's no possible way I could be wrong. What you're, it doesn't matter what you're showing me. I'm right, you're wrong. You know, that is, that's yeah. wrong. Yeah, I mean, like, semant- semantically, like, yeah, you come at it a little differently, but it's the same principle of right. I'm willing to change my beliefs based on new evidence. I just like saying I'm, I'm not ever wrong. And, <laughs> and I'm, I'm curious as we go on with this if I can see some type of pattern or common thread because right now I don't see a, a one that connects us all despite the various. And I see the reason for what you're trying to look for, because mm-hmm. that is obviously what gives an, an answer to the question in the conversation yeah. that we were having earlier. How do we get people to come around to those? Right. You know, they don't even have to change their entire political landscape just be willing to be in the conversation yeah. where things mm-hmm. are actually a conversation, where facts yeah. actually matter again, where you can sit down and say, okay, well, these are the things that I think, these are the things that you think, what works, what doesn't, and let's actually make it work. My parents mm-hmm. are older. I was uh, I was an unintentional baby, uh, and my sister is ten and a half years older than I am, and my parents were already 
you know, getting up there by the time they had me. So based on where they come from, their history, uh, my mother was brought up in a very uh, puritanical kind of household. Uh, you know, lots of siblings. Dad was in the in the military and never home. And every time he came home, oh, look, there was another baby nine months later. Um, you know, that, that kind of... Um, kind of deal and you know it was it was a polite kind of situation where you didn't talk about things that could possibly offend people you Mm -hmm. didn't talk about religion you didn't talk about Mm -hmm. politics you might have barely even talked about sports you know these were things that just they were not uh they were not socially acceptable things to to speak of and she had carried that down and that was also the same way that my dad was brought up, though he was a little bit more uh, crass. And heaven forbid, taking his shirt off to mow the lawn, it was scandalous. Absolutely scandalous. So that that I don't want to discuss these things. So if something was ever said politically at the table, it was said from a position of authority that would never be questioned. Always. Mm-hmm. So there was there was never even the opportunity or the thought process there to question it. Right. Until I came along and I started to question everything because I was a precocious little child that way. And I I choose to go with uh to, to quote Matt Dillahoney, who is a kind of an armchair philosopher and one of the hosts of uh of another show uh, called The Atheist Experience out of Austin. Uh, and it's, I want to believe as many true things and as few false things as possible. That alone pretty much sums up most of, of what I want to know. Mm-hmm. Now, what you determine to be truth and what I determine to be truth may be two very different things. But my true things need to have facts and need to be you know malleable to the facts and not to my feelings. So... Truth follows the facts as far as I'm concerned. And if the facts end up changing or improving or being proven wrong, then my truth will follow them. And that is not, unfortunately, where many people from the rather polite, quiet society that my parents were raised in, that's not where they go. They go with, they don't want to discuss these things. They already have their ideas, and that's fine with them, and they don't want to discuss it any further. They've already got their position, and that's that. So where do you think you got that from, then, if if you had no one as a child in your family or social circle who was like that? Um, well, I was... My, my parents, though that was the way they were, they were also kind of loose with it. They were not very strict in, in telling me no on certain things. Um, they didn't necessarily want to do exactly the same thing that their parents did. I was also the second child, and the second child is always um, raised more lax than the first child. Mm-hmm. So there was a bit of that as well. And I noticed that with my sister. She's more uh, she's, she's certainly more God-fearing than I am. Um, and I lost my faith way early on when I asked too many questions in church mm-hmm. and right. was asked not to come back because I was disrupting the class. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> so, which is always an amazing thing to hear when you're trying to be taught something. Yeah, this is the difference between actual school and being told. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I didn't really want to be there anyway, so that was okay. So instead of being taught the lesson of you need to just do as you're told and you need to you need to take this as rote, I found that there was freedom in that. That in asking questions, I got to be more of who I am and want to do what I want to do. And you got to be liberated from an unpleasant experience. Exactly. Because I was not okay. forced I was not forced to be there. So I imagine so, that if anything, that was probably a, a fundamental pivot in okay. that I found I found freedom in asking questions. Not necessarily the freedom that they wanted me to have, you know? But the freedom yeah. that I found from it. Not what they wanted, but what you needed. Right. Or at least what has become what I needed, I suppose. So, and then that never stopped. And then as it's like, okay, well, I'm, I still want to ask questions. So if somebody's not going to answer my questions because they don't want to hear the questions, then I'm going to look somewhere else for the answers. And I found books and this wonderful thing called a digital encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. I had all of Encarta. At I was going to say Encarta 95. Uh, I did. I had Encarta <laughs> at my fingertips. And oh, I yeah, I found myself in the in the high school library at lunch, just eating up knowledge as well as my my sandwiches, and I did all the research that I wanted to right there and came to my own conclusions. I did not need to be guided by someone else. Do you remember that weird, almost like text based adventure in Carta game that they had, where like we didn't have that. You would you would answer. Um, it was it was with I think in Carta ninety eight, where it would ask you like you would come to you were basically in this giant ass castle for which you had no map or layout, and every time you went into a room there would be some type of thing happening and it and you progressed by answering a question that had to do with whatever knowledge you could find in Encarta. Huh. And that was really fucking interesting to me. Like, it's neat. a very trippy game, too. It's goddamn weird. But. Oh, that would that'd be a neat thing to have. But no, I, I, I graduated high school in 97. So I was I was on an earlier version of Encarta. Much worse. Yeah. <laughs> much worse. No, I, my, my fun Encarta story was uh, in, actually in ele- yeah, elementary school, um, printing out a document directly from Encarta and then turning it in as a school paper... <laughs> oh my the, the teacher was like uh you didn't write this and i was like i thought you just wanted information on this subject <laughs> and they're like yeah ass. we wanted you to write a paper and i asked him what the point of writing the paper was when somebody else already had smart written all of the information so they asked me a bunch of questions from it and i knew it all because i'd read it smart they're like I guess you got a point. <laughs> wow. Nice. Well done, sir. <laughs> but but I also learned that no, no, we want you to actually write a paper because it's, yeah. there's it's not just about knowing the information. Okay, we'll we'll let you slide this time. It's about regurgitating it to us in a strict set of parameters that's almost that's right. impossible to hit because you never remember what the fuck they are. And it always changes per teacher. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That first paper, you always bomb it because you don't know what the hell they're grading for. And they never yeah. tell you. <laughs> Literally never tell you. Okay, we're going to write this today. How do you want me to mark? Just write. No. 
how do you want it margin yeah. how do you want the margins what exactly. do you want in it <clears throat> in what format I no, no, it just, just go st- ahead and write it standard ama blah 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 it's like uh okay so turn it in standard ama format no not that one but it's a Shut up! This is the way I want it. Always the second. Yeah, time. I remember. Always. I remember carrying around the MLA. I yep. think I still have an MLA book. Yeah, I have uh, mine still. Somewhere. Uh, I still have my my Writers Incorporated book. Ooh. High school. Ooh. <laughs> that has all the formats. Oh my god! I oh. Actually, I think I still have one of those too. That has the 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 uh, MLA APA. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Had to do your bibliography. Yeah. Fuck a bibliography. AMA outline, because there there is that. It exists. You know, really, all they should do now is just teach people how to edit Wikipedia. Because it all, you have to cite your sources. You have to, you know, go back to all these things. You have to, you know, write it in neutral voice and everything. You know, I think that's all they need to really do. (laughs) But, we need to get Wikipedia more accepted as an actual source. Yeah, well, as it's better curated, um, it, it will be it is moving closer and closer. It's getting there. I mean, it, it's certainly more acceptable because it is accessible. It is so accessible that it's hard to really refute it. And they're sure look at it, and if it is, you can tell if something's obviously wrong. You really can. Or incomplete. Or incomplete, yeah. And you can mark it as incomplete too. It's like no, this isn't right. You know, we're we're missing stuff here. I already found out this just from reading something yeah, else. So I I went yeah. through a, a what I like to refer to as a war hole Uh-oh. the other day. Um, in, in searching through Wikipedia and learning that we don't really know that much about medieval weaponry and sword classifications. Um, well, it's a very a very narrow field of, of uh, research. Yes, which is in desperate need of study. Uh, okay. <laughs> like, I know for a fact that there, for, for classification on digs, there is a s- styles of swords that are actually numbered. Um, for certain, like, arming swords or Viking swords, there's a type 10. There is a type 11 for, for classification. Hmm. Uh, and these things are sometimes in the Wikipedia article, they are sometimes not. So there is something that should be curated and brought up to speed. Um, well, if you, have but, the, if you have the knowledge and you have the time, Wikipedia needs you. I can hook you up with a, <laughs> with a whole group of people called the Guerrilla Skepticism on Wikipedia Project. Yeah, they're, they're pretty awesome. They go through and they, they, make, they make lots of edits to web pages. All the time, but uh, it, it's it's a field to study because I was going like, okay, I'm 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 there's got to be a, a a a reason for how the Kalish Mard was designed as opposed to the, the the standard small sword. What's the answer? And I go trying to find it, and nope, nope, nobody nobody necessarily has the answer for. A, a, a definitive answer for the change in design. Good. Oh, okay. Well, I can think of a, of several thoughts off the top of my head for that, but um, kind of off topic. Yeah, kind of off topic. But we could talk uh, about medieval weaponry on another show. 
Hey, but going back to what you were talking about <laughs> earlier, Amber, like where where's where's the line? Where where does the the being ready to question one's one's beliefs and being ready to accept new information? Um, I know I'm the outlier here in that my family was pretty liberal, um, and. But the the interesting thing about my parents is they're both the black sheeps of their families. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was a homicide detective for West Palm Beach Police Department for on a number of years. Um, and my mother started out as a teacher, uh, then had a series of different jobs. Uh, but they brought me up with an understanding and appreciation for science. Um, while they just not necessarily agreed with some of my opinions from an early age, they they cultivated not just them, but also my teachers. Cultivated in me the if you have a good enough argument, you can at least get acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. So you were um, you were not shut down for having a different opinion. No, I, I was shut out. Sometimes thoroughly yelled at. Um, but as long as I had a strong enough opinion, there was one word that wasn't used. You're ro- one phrase. You're wrong. I wasn't called. You're wrong. Everything else under the sun. I wasn't told I was wrong. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I was just having a, a little flashback to llamas with hats. No, Carl, that kills people. <laughs> you know, things things that your parents might tell you. Yeah, yeah but... <laughs> it's like a bad and, idea. <laughs> uh, just something that was also cultivated in, in both my parents is follow the logic. Does this mm-hmm. make sense? Or... And, an appreciation of both of them for well where where does this go where does this lead guide you through the thought, thought process see where there might be a fallacy see where there might be a hiccup or where something can diverge i mean the the only thing that i'm able to link this all back to so far is it seems like a lot of our parents were open to the idea of, um, you know, us being educated and us seeking out information or engaging with, with our education in a way that they didn't expect, maybe. Like, they, um, they just figured maybe they were right by default, some of us, and then, like... Um, we surprised them when we followed things to their logical conclusion and came back with a different response mm-hmm. because like my, my parents um, were both from um, uh, Northeast Pennsylvania um, in the late forties and, and fifties is when they grew up. Um, and my dad didn't go to school until God, like it would have been the equivalent of like the fifth grade because he was helping his parents with stuff and he got into the fifth grade and didn't know how to read. Um, and from the time I was two, he would sit with me for extended periods of time 
and teach me to read. And by the time I was in kindergarten, I would go and read to the fifth graders because I was reading at a middle school level because he was like, I figure, you know, if you can read, you can do anything. And I think that's part of maybe that generation being sold on the idea of, well, if your kids go to college, they can have anything that they want. They'll be guaranteed a future uh, yeah. if they go to college. Education so, is a gateway. Yeah. 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 And, it, and so it seems to me like maybe the, the only thing I can so far link it back to is just the, the emphasis on education. Um, right at a time, it seems like right when we hit the information age or when it started gaining momentum, uh, which was very different from the schooling that they had. So we came back with a lot of conclusions and a lot of behaviors that are way different from maybe what some of our parents anticipated and what drove us to oh. uh, eventually yeah. to liberalism. I, I know as a personal anecdote, um, one of the things that was incredibly important to my father was he, he quit quit school early. Uh, part of a vehement uh, disagreement between him and his father. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, most of my family's from Kansas, like <laughs> Florida. Um, and he thought it was incredibly important for him to get his degree before I graduated high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, to set an example and to better himself. So it, that that was part of it and also both of them being liberal one it was my grandmother who was a giant it's on my mom grandmother and mother's side mm-hmm. uh, was very very liberal and they lived if you know about Florida uh, a good part of her childhood was up in Belgrade so mm-hmm. a poorer section of Florida but and my grandmother worked as a county clerk for a while out there Mm-hmm. So the for the grace of God go I thing was very much part of that house. Oh, I imagine. Um, now, my dad came to liberalism through a hate of conservatism. <laughs> what, Growing up. Oh, wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. Okay, so from Kansas. Yes. Which is a very conservative state, and yes. still a very conservative state, especially back oh. then. So. Oh, yes. So what what caused the the souring of conservatism in your father though? I mean that's um, to to he, come out and come out of the gate and say hate of it. Um, you know what? Uh, where did that come from? Part part of the, the his his just vehement like the man spits venom um, hatred of conservatism was due to certain bills being passed when he was. Heading towards the later years of his high school and towards college. Um, they cut funding to a couple of the state universities. They split up and started a busing program, mm-hmm. um, for, for rural kids in his area instead of going to one of the two premier high schools in Kansas at the time being bused to this other more urban high school they were busting the role kids out to. And he's going, no, I want to keep my teachers, I want to keep my classes, I want to keep my friends. And you're, you're saying due to 
budget cuts and political policy, I can't continue my pursuit. And I'm now at a disadvantage to go to the university I want. Well, screw you. <laughs> okay, so so it, it's the college age, you know, that we've seen very often, that college age rebellion against the system being broken. Uh, yeah, and drove him all the way down to Florida because he wanted to see what. Well, that's one way to do it. And had a very odd time bouncing around doing Oceanic research, and then when he wanted to continue pursuing it further, goes, you have to have a degree for this, and goes, well, crap. Was he a hippie? Uh, no. He was too rough to be a hippie. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> and uh, he worked in restaurants for a while, and then became a police officer. Boy, that... You know, if he had just been a little softer, he would have been a hippie, thinking. Uh-huh. I mean, that, that history is like, yep, uh-huh, uh-huh. Is there long hair? There, there should be no. some long hair in there. You know? there, there, wasn't, there wasn't long hair. Uh, mm. He had the cop mustache before he was a cop. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay, okay. All right. And uh, Cop sheet. I, and surprisingly enough, because I, I know a lot of my friends in growing up, as they have become parts of law enforcement. They've gone from liberal to conservative. My father, coming from conservative groups and rebellion towards more liberalism, but only out of rebellion, as his time is working in law enforcement, his views became more and more liberal. See, um, that's that's something that I'm I'm not familiar with. Usually law enforcement, at least, you know, from Especially everything that we hear in the media now, and a lot of things that we see, especially in my county of Brevard, uh, law enforcement is very conservative. It's where the blue line is, you know? Well, in his opinion, he's going, because he, he was one of those guys who, when he joined the force, he had a beat. A lot of guys don't have that anymore. Um, he was forced to be a community officer. Um, and do that and walk the beat. New, new grandmothers. Cause he goes, most of the, I, I worked the poorest, some of the poorest areas. It, it wasn't mom and dad because mom probably had, had gone off with somebody else and dad was in jail. So I knew a lot mm-hmm. of grandmothers. Um, and they were the ones that were taking care of the kids. So I got to know them. And if they had a problem, they sought me out because they knew they could approach me. And this was a way that I could police things before things got bad. Um, so they would come to me with an issue before it got out of hand and guns had to be drawn. So I could easily go in, talk people down, and keep it from being an incident. And most importantly, keep from having to do paperwork. Ah, uh, the paperwork. Yes, always the paperwork. And it's always a strong motivator. It, it, it very much was. Yeah. And this idea that anybody through education can better themselves and poverty is the driving force for criminality was something he quickly came mm-hmm. to grasp with. Is lack of opportunity due to legislation. It's, it's not that these people are bad. It's that they were forced into a bad situation. Okay, so he had, 
he had a very different set of experiences than many officers do. Well, he also was well, involved in community outreach. Yeah, that's it, it, that alone seems to be something that is done less and less now. It's 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 doing the same work but through a different lens of the the fraternal order of police uh, as a as a macho force that it is transitioning into thinks of themselves as something other than the population at large. So it's it's creating a huge divide between their ability to empathize with the people that they're policing. Well, I also know when it comes to my, my father's view on the current state of policing, especially here in Florida, the thing that appalls him the most is just the lack of education that these guys are getting. Like, he had to spend time in academy to become an officer. He had to learn a lot, do a lot of paperwork, learn forms, but also one of the things that was taught was, and one of the things that you had to do was community policing. You were seen. You were known. You walked a beat. Mm-hmm. And you made yourself visible, one, to try and keep crime down, two, to make the people in the neighborhood comfortable with your presence because you were the guy that should something go wrong who was going to respond first. Yeah. So that way you had better witness testimony should something go awry and things have to go to court. Well, you were the first one there. They're probably going to tell you the truth versus somebody who just rolls up with a car. It's It really does seem, though, in my in my experience, you know, individual results may vary. Uh, that that is done much less, and it's budget cutbacks. The thing that he he rails against is they're they're pulling more money out of services when they should be doing the opposite. Mm. Fred, you looked like you had a comment on that. Well, no, um, I mean, there's a, a few things, but. One of the the things where you're saying like it's a surprise because you're seeing it less and less. What makes it even more surprising is the fact that studies going on show how successful community policing would be, as opposed to you know that that mindset of just showing up when the call is there. You know the you know never getting out of the car, only showing up when when there's a situation. Um, having that presence in a community or in an area makes it a lot easier exactly you know the way that that dan is saying you know you connect with the people in your area and you know their current studies you know when i was in sarasota living in sarasota um i knew someone that was going through their master's program for um you know basically uh, law enforcement administration and the entire thesis written was about how community policing and using current statistics. So, I mean, it, it's something that's still being looked at and just isn't being implemented as such. And um, one of the things I'd be curious about is the time when your dad was a community officer and, you know, out on the street, what area was that in? Um, he was uh, – the the area was in West Palm Beach, and uh, he was doing community community policing um late 70s early 80s 
in, in an area called uh, Australian. It was a stretch of, ro- stretch of road, and it was one of the worst neighborhoods. Do you know about how um, big that area was? Um, his beat was about um, five miles. Okay, and do you know um, for that area, like what he was – West Palm Beach PD or yes, West Palm Beach Police Department. How much other coverage did they have? Because I'm just I'm just thinking of like how big is West Palm Beach area or or how many different P, you know um, stations might they have had? How many other cops? Like were they doing community policing everywhere or just in certain areas? Uh, they did targeted policing in the poorest areas. The rich neighborhoods didn't necessarily need to be cop. Which, when you look at crime statistics, those areas, when there's community policing, are going to have higher statistics that just don't get reported as much, um, only because criminals then tend to travel. So it's like, oh, this cop is working in this area all the time. I'm going to go hit up the rich areas where there's no police. Um, I, I'm well, just looking at it in it, terms it, of like a, an area like down here, um, you know, over here on the, the coast like Melbourne where I know most of the cops I know, and just trying to compare it like how would – they make community policing work in that area because that, I mean, I think that ends up being part of the problem too. And you hit on it, you know, with, with budget issues, um, you know, the coverage, like being able to put people in those areas because the way it works for like, say Melbourne PD here, which is a fairly lengthy city. I mean, it's not huge by any stretch of the imagination, but it, it's got some length mileage wise. So when you go from the very tip of Melbourne to the very end of Melbourne, that's a lot of area to cover. And so what they end up do is they, they break it down into zones. And, you know, generally speaking, like two officers may be assigned to a zone on a given shift. And you may work that same zone for a couple of months and then they shift everybody so that nobody gets bogged down or burned out in the same zones. So it's not exactly community policing, but it's as close as they're getting to a current model. Yeah, no. Uh, with with him, there was um, – for the community cops, it was always your, your lowest guy on the totem pole, your patrolman, that were doing with the community policing. Um, it also meant that should you move up, oh, look, you are familiar with this area, so the crime that comes from here, you're dealing with it. Right. You have a, because, you have a relationship with both the people committing the crimes and the victims of yeah. those crimes. So you, you already have that, that rapport there. That was the system back then. Um, and for his, his zone, as it were, Australian, that was – a total of eight cops throughout a 24-hour period that just did that zone. Um, so you had guys that were also out there at night. Um, so if anything were to happen, they would be the first ones to respond. Um, and they just cycled, I think, on a monthly basis on time shift. So that way they, they all had a presence with the community there, um, so no, the and it did drive the crime down. As for the moving to wealthier areas, um, there was there definitely was movement, but uh, the movement was more nonviolent crime versus violent crime. So you had more burglaries, less robberies. So you were usually dealing with burglaries in the wealthier zones. Um, and 
a lot of the times the beat cops would have an idea as to who the culprits were because they would have already tried it in their area and probably have gotten caught. Hmm. Uh, and already had a case file to go, okay, how does this look? Yeah. Well, I have an idea of who it is, and if they're not doing it, they probably know who is. Right. We've moved a little bit far afield of the politics of, of this. Um, not, yeah, to, not, to, not to discourage that discussion, though, because it's very interesting. Uh, law enforcement in general is always a, a, a rich topic for discussion. Yeah, Fred? Well, no, because um, you were talking about having shifted away from politics, and mm-hmm. earlier, before we started that slide away from it, you were kind of looking for maybe not a silver lining, but maybe something positive that had come out of like the Gorsuch situation. I, I would like to wrap the show with a little bit, little bit of a, a silver lining, if at all possible, going into the weekend. That would be. <laughs> I know. And I'm a dreamer. Well, I I'm fe- a dreamer. I feel like I <laughs> but may. But you're not the only one. I hope not. <laughs> I feel like I may have something. And, and okay. obviously everyone else can feel free to shoot down my idea. But I, I've been looking at this and obviously I listened to um, – not obviously, but I'm telling you. I listened to another podcast called Opening Arguments that is extremely informative I when it comes to arguments. legal matters and especially a lot of what's going on in the you know the current administration and how it you know legally it works out and so one of the things that i think is a positive of this situation ends up being all of the things that people were fearful about and what i mean to say is is that a lot of people with gorsuch being nominated you heard a lot of maybe slightly hyperbolic but oh they're going to overturn roe versus wade now and they'll be able to you know turn back the marriage equality and things like that now obviously there's a a a way that this has to work it's not like the the supreme court can just be like yeah we're going to do this now it's a case has to come up it has to go through all the proper channels it has to go to appeals and then from appeals it has to go to the supreme court and they have to decide to take the case yeah now in the current landscape politically political landscape um that exists there are ways that cases revolving around those particular issues can come up can get fast tracked through some of these conservative courts put into an uh, appeals court system that is more conservative and then presented to the supreme court at which point they decide do we want to take this case or not where i put the positive spin on it is because, like I suggested earlier, the numbers haven't shifted for those decisions to change. So if you have something that affects, you know, Roe versus Wade or abortion or, or, you know, women's health in that way, you know, kind of like, uh, trying to further confirm the things that went on with Hobby Lobby. Mm-hmm. They would go before a Supreme Court that is pretty much going to be split 5-4 on any of those decisions where you're going to end up having, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Mm-hmm. Um, Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan, along with Kennedy, which he, he's on all of those situations. He's been shifting left on most of his decisions. You're going to have those five having the majority over Roberts, Thomas, Alito, um, and Gorsuch. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have 5-4 decisions. That only strengthens the position for later because when you have more cases that are all siding with you know, there is a right to choose or marriage should be equal across all, you yeah. know, and you have more cases that are giving you a precedent to say these things, it becomes that much harder to overturn if something happens and the court does shift in a way 
that becomes more originalist or more activist in their decision-making process. Now, that that also takes into account the the hope that uh, stare decisis, which is the the court relying on previous court decisions to set precedents and working off that base to move forward, uh, that stare decisis is going to continue to rule the day, as it were, in their the, that decision-making. The problem with Gorsuch in that whole idea and also in the whole um, Scalia pictorial is the hardcore originalism interpretation of the Constitution ignoring stare decisis and coming up with his own unique bent on what the founding fathers actually intended the rules to be. Right, and and while that is a slight concern, that's where the numbers game still comes into play because Clarence mm-hmm. Thomas is also a pretty staunch originalist in terms of the way that he views the Constitution and makes his decisions. Um, yeah, but at least he doesn't make things up as he goes. But nearly as much with Gorsuch, you can be as originalist as you want and make things up as much as you want as long as it's in the dissent. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I don't care what you say as as long as as it's in the dissent. Now, granted, obviously later they can look back to that. It it, it provides no precedent. They can just highlight from it because that's the good thing about dissents. It it literally – well, good and bad depending on what side you fall on. But it provides provides no precedent. It's literally just a a formal protest that you're putting out there saying this is way wrong. We got it wrong. But as long as it's in the dissent, do what you want. And and so, like for me specifically, what I'm taking is right now the numbers are still on the side of people not losing their rights, you know, still protecting women's reproductive, you know, rights. Mm -hmm. Those type of things are still technically just the way that I've seen and the way that I've been being taught about how the Supreme Court is working and and how the justices have been deciding cases. those type of things at least give me that much hope that you know that much silver lining on even though this exists right now let's hope that maybe they're overzealous in what they were thinking they could do and it gives us a stronger hold on some of those decisions well keep in keep in mind how things get to the supreme court in order for it to get there in the first place there already has to be a court case that warrants enough appeal to bring it to the Supreme Court. Then it has to be accepted by the Supreme Court, and it takes four justices to say that they want to look at it. Right, and that's how you'll end up getting some of these things that so they're gonna right. Uh, so an interesting they number hear, of these cases, and, and are that's going to kind be of what now. I meant by you have a political climate that could push a case on abortion through. This has been decided; yeah. it it's already exists, but. If you get a case that's even close and all they have to do is hand pick the case, mm-hmm. then have the decision come down, then, you know, okay, well, obviously the decision is going to come down in, on the side of, you know, what the Supreme Court has said in the past. Great. Fast track it to the appeal. You get to choose where you appeal it. You just appeal it in a right. conservative appeals court. Yeah. There is there is a way to make it right. appear. They, they can – Push it to that area. Not easy, but possible. The four justices that are going to end up voting decide they want to hear the case, but unfortunately, the five-four split. So, I mean, I know it's a very shaky silver lining, but that's that is the way that I'm viewing it in in terms of 
you know, maybe this is something yeah. that, like I said, it, it's almost like, hey, you think you got something great. Let's see if I can get you to overplay your hand. Yeah, because I, I think we could probably all agree that the the reasonability of the Supreme Court overturning a previous Supreme Court's ruling, ergo Roe versus Wade, that that's big. That's not a small thing for the Supreme Court to actually come up and say, you know what, we got that wrong last time. That's huge. It's it's kind of courtroom third rail kind of stuff that they don't want to touch because it's bad. It's bad form, and then their names are going to be on it forever because though they're supposed to be completely politically impartial and all that, they still have a legacy. Yeah. Is that the side of history that even Mr. Gorsuch wants to be on? I mean, he was already humiliated by the Supreme Court overturning his decision. I, you know, I, I don't think I don't think that touched him. I really don't think that that was uh, as bad as, as we we think. like to think of these things as being so humiliating for conservatives when they happen. And really, for for them, I think it's just. Was just uh, I'll just try it. I'll just try it again a different way. Well, no, yeah. when he was confronted by reporters and seeing that video, the yeah, physicality really nothing. showed that. Oh, okay. Yeah. They they bounce back quickly. Yeah, they, they, they bounce, bounce back. I, I can because, say they bounce back, but at the same time, that looked like it hurt. I do, and and, and I I've seen that before too. Um, so I mean, I think for a second it does stagger them. But mm-hmm. only for a second. Yeah. Well, yeah, because when when you first see it or when they first hear it, the thought is going to be, well, what do you what do you mean I'm wrong? Like, or or what yeah. do you mean I, you didn't come down on my side? How is that possible? But then the bounce back is, oh well, we'll just do this. Yeah. They're being told no, and they don't take no for an answer, and never have their entire lives. So it just becomes, all right, how can I make this a yes? That's Which a very, is a very common business tactic. Yeah, it's it's a, a very common sales tactic. Used car kind of kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. How can I make this a yes? Is is something that is drilled home as a. Uh, what do I have to do to get you in this car today? Yeah. Drive off it's the a lot corporate today. Tactic. Yeah. It's a, it's a form of manipulation, and it's it's what they do. It's um. It's just them coming at it from whatever angle that they can. Like, all right, this failed, and that sucks because that's a blow to my ego, but. I don't take no for an answer, and in the end, I'm going to get what I want. It's just a matter of how do I get what I want. Yeah. And that's how you get Bannon. And there's even yeah. there there even comes a dollop of spite with that too, because for every failure that they um, yeah experience, experience yeah victory's just that much sweeter. Yeah, oh, yeah, and it and they just it becomes them doubling down on it. Like he's conservative he's, enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And and when I show them what conservatism can really be now that I'm on the Supreme Court, then they'll understand. <clears throat> Stephen, are are you sanding furniture over there? You're you're making <laughs> you're making a lot of uh, a lot of crafty kind of noises over there. Absolutely. I have nothing but furniture being built all the way. I'm gonna be able to furnish everybody's houses. I've got the best furniture. Excellent. Awesome. I prefer the shaker these, style if that helps at all. <laughs> These wicker couches are huge. <laughs> uh, Excellent. Well, at least we know what that I, is. I got a silver lining for you. It's, in, it's in, not your hat, is it? 
because your hat is, your hat your hat is remarkably shiny. It is it is oh, it's catching the light. I mean, it is gleaming. Oh, I'm. You I'm guys just will not like believe my how shiny so, his hat is. Yeah, I'm like I'm playing with the camera just to like this is maximum shine right here. Uh it's really great. So, you need so to see it. I, my, You're like Kamatoa silver, from Moana. My nice. silver lining is going to sound a little weird. That's not surprising. First, uh, Trump is president. Uh, not Bannon. <laughs> and while yeah. Bannon wants the world to end in nuclear fire, Trump is all about making money for himself, and he can't continue to do that if the world is in nuclear fire. So while we might have some prophecies thrust upon us, I think for the most part, oh, the the world's population is going to live through it. Because otherwise, who's going to buy all of his stuff? Right. Yeah. You can't have a huge business with no customers. I believe uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson actually mentioned that um, science has been often better funded in, during conservative uh, regimes... Because there's one thing in particular that pe- that conservatives understand, and that's that science has a great return on investment, and they really don't want to be poor. So where's the lie? So science is always a good investment, as long as you can convince them that it is technology, a good investment. Technology, I would yeah. say. Yeah. Technology, Trump. not necessarily other other areas yeah. of study. But but Trump suffers from techno fear. Well. Trump is is with the the high percentage of baby boomers who didn't want the computer ever invented, and don't like smartphones. And he, he suffers from techno fear, but he loves yeah, the Twitter. Yeah, he's a technophobe. He loves the he loves the Twitter. The, but he, he loves things that are that get him super attention. simple, easy to use, and get attention for him. Yeah. So text that, messaging the world. After a yeah. bender is yeah. really his his text messaging method. the world on a limited that. character count, so he doesn't have to put thought into it. He just has to hit that number, and he can always blame the format as being terse or whatever. So yeah. mm-hmm. he, he doesn't have to do nuance because it's only 140 characters. Mm-hmm. Um, though I do have an unrelated silver lining <laughs> coming from Big Think just okay. recently. Uh, Elon Musk. Uh, may be in the process of trying to convince Donald Trump for a carbon tax. Uh, yeah, I believe I, I heard something about that. Um, yeah, calling to... it analogous to taxing cigarettes and alcohol more than fruits and vegetables, which everybody agrees makes sense. It'll never make it through. Yeah, I don't think so either. It may because is... of the Grover Norquist pledge. Because of that pledge? Except the Grover Norquist pledge has been broken by so many Republicans so often. Not the ones who go with the Freedom Caucus, no, but a lot of the more standard ones who are willing to do stuff went, uh, wait, no, this is stupid. They signed it, but I've seen it broken before. It's super unlikely to have happened without a Democratic majority. Hmm. That is also, unfortunately, it'll never reach the floor. Musk is actually trying to frame it and apparently has been talking to Trump's people and going, hey, Tillerson has been in the past for your carbon tax. So 
the guy that you have as the chief of your state departments for this, I'm for this, and I'm one of the the the, the barons of industry. Yeah, we. Which, speaking of the State Department, wow, we need to talk about that at some point. Not today, obviously. Um, <laughs> but wow, is that a is that a shit show? <laughs> yeah, uh, you don't say. That's that's yeah. He's doing amazing things. I mean, Kushner is doing amazing things. <laughs> amazing. Um, in in Trumpian amazing. I. Mm. <laughs> Colonoscopy. Ah. Um. <laughs> nice, nice. I actually have hope for the carbon tax now, because I think it may get it's got through a as as cobbled together in what is being thrown down as Trump's new strategy of let's make an omnibus bill. So I am going to get my health care or my tax plan through. Oh, bundle by, it by tying its fate. Kicking and screaming to the infrastructure bill, so I get a two for one. Grumble, grumble. I grumble. like bogos. Yeah. I love the bogos. The bargains are great. Oh. Well, between that him hurt. and between yeah. him and Ryan's coupons for for healthcare and all that, yeah, absolutely. So um, that's going wonderfully. Of course, we'll see what happens there. Um, so in in parting shots, because I think we're done. Yeah, I'm done. I'm so done with what has been <laughs> a terrible Friday. Um, garbage day. Uh, well, yeah. Oh boy, has it been I, garbage day? I um, had my garbage day yesterday, so I got it out early. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. Um, yeah. Fred and I are going to ReasonCon. ReasonCon three in Hickory, North Carolina. We will be there for uh, for all the festivities that is going on uh, April twenty first and twenty second at the Crown Plaza in Hickory, North Carolina. We highly recommend you come down and see us if at all possible. I've made buttons and all sorts of things. There's going to be uh, a lot of fantastic speakers, and it's it's really going to be a good time. Um, so if you can go, uh, check out. Uh, reason for NC. That's the Facebook, facebook.com slash reason for NC or, uh, reason for NC at Twitter as well. And yeah, reasoncon.com, I believe. So there are still tickets available. I think they've, they're, they're coming, coming close to being sold out on everything, including, uh, VIP tickets and the guys from, uh, God Awful Movies and Scathing Atheist, same crew. They're going to be there and they're going to, they're going to do a live show, and that's always delightful fun. These guys are hilarious. Um, Lawrence Krauss is going to be speaking. Um, it's it's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. So that's ReasonCon, uh, April twenty first and twenty second. So that that weekend, we're not going to have a show because we're going to be we're going to be the show somewhere else. Ah. So, but we will have a show next week, hopefully, with things that are working. I may have to throw things away and buy a new board, and I'm so looking forward to doing that, especially with the trip <laughs> coming up and things like that. So, um, with that, uh, everyone else, let's go around the room. What do you have to share? What any any good news that we'd like to share? Just as as we're on the out, <laughs> out the door. Good good news or picks or whatever. Uh, yeah, yes. yeah. Absolutely. I can do picks. I can't do good news. Well, maybe I, it's a I good can do pick. picks. It's a good pick, maybe. Anyway. Bueller? Um, 
Yeah, no, I actually have something on my desk that I was, I've been messing around with. Uh, so uh, you guys know how I have an infatuation with being able to go out of doors. Uh, <laughs> you you are the outdoor, outdoorsman. Uh, well, I mean, when, when the nuclear fire hits, you can't stay in your apartment. Uh, <laughs> bunkers, the, man, bunkers, all the way. <laughs> if, if only. Yeah, being out in the open would just not be good. Yeah. You can you can handle it through water filters and uh, having prepackaged foods and and uh, a good gas mask to keep the irradiated materials out of your lungs. But aside from that, what you're also going to need is fire, and this is a gigantic flint rod. Uh, it is one half by six inches of ferro rod for your fire sparking <laughs> pleasure. Uh, <laughs> that's that's quite the quite the hot rod you got there. Quite the rod in my hands, I should say. Uh, the, the, we we were watching a, a show called Alone, where people get to pick ten survival items, and but uh, they get dropped off. Uh, the first season, I think, was in Western Canada. On a, they got dropped on a literal island, and they had to just go until the last person. Uh, uh, tapped Died. out basically and said I can I can survive no more out here on my own and uh, by season the end of season 2 ended I think at 64 or 65 days out in the wild <laughs> and the pretty good. the guy who, who won was set up like he had a neat fishing spot he was able to harvest crabs regularly every single day um he was he was doing well so um did but now did he actually say i'm done or did the producers say you need to be done (laughs) so what happens is it gets down to the final two and when one of those two taps out they bring the family member of the last one out into the woods to surprise the last person oh okay that's cool so if you see a family member walking up to you, you know you're done. Uh, you, they cry because they won, and also they just won five hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> okay, wow. So that's not bad. Uh, but, as long but, as yeah, as no. long as this is one of those survival shows where they don't cancel it in the middle and forget to tell the people that are on that are deserted, right? It, it was not. That was funny. <laughs> oh God, that's horrible. No, that's not funny. That that is a tragedy. That's horrible. No, no, it's only funny because I wasn't one of those people. Shadow but, Friday. Yeah. <laughs> that's where I, I first saw a dude pull out a, a ferro rod that was absolutely huge and said, that is, that's a, that's a rod. And I want one. Well, So okay. there's $17 for two on Amazon. Well, that's not bad. I imagine. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Okay. All righty. Next Sure, you guys know my my love for all things pen and paper RPG. Yes. Uh, right now, I was just informed today that my my subscription for for uh, the Pathfinder RPG has just been updated. Um, the money has left my account, and my book will be coming soon for Bestiary Six for the Pathfinder RPG Jeez. system. Uh, it will have over two hundred monsters. Including uh, Rougarou, Yadithians of the Elder Mythos, um, mon- crazed monkey goblins. Ooh, my favorite! Uh, 
Then stuff like Radle One, Arch Devil, Superior Lords, uh, new animal companions like Devil Monkeys and Clockwork Hounds. Ooh, so, Clockwork Hounds, that's cool. So I, I am looking forward to it. Uh, it should be here in my lap by the twentieth, twenty-sixth at the latest. So I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. Nice. Next. I guess I'll go next. So I've recently gotten back into my love of the uh, the Society for Creative Anachronism, and a lot of that what involved with that is camping, such as I recently came back from a war that we have yearly in Mississippi where we spend a week in the woods. Camping. You need a rod. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we also bring lots of other stuff. We're not that far from town. We're good for that. Also, there's about 3,500 of us out there, so somebody's got fire. And a lot of them smoke. So, Fire's probably not a problem. I recently decided to go ahead and bite the bullet and buy a tent. And this wasn't, this is a tent that I've been eyeing for a while. It wasn't like your standard mundane, let's go down to Walmart and buy a Coleman tent. What I bought was called a soul pad. The, I got the five meter bell version with the sewn in ground sheet. So for those people who are not used to metric, that is 16.4 feet across. Um, it is a full canvas tent. The thing by itself without any of the poles weighs about 70 pounds. Um, so not the lightest thing in the world. However, I will say as far as tents that I've stayed in and tents that I've had, um, even compared to modern mundane tents, this is one of the easiest ones I've ever had to set up. I can do it my bloody self. I can take it down myself within 15, 20 minutes without a problem. And I've had mundane tents that take longer than that. Um, and usually require two people. So and how many meters was it? Five. Ooh, is, the, is the soul pad 5,000 E's if you're looking on that's, the site. Oh, wow. That's an investment, sir. Yes, it is an investment. It cost me a good penny, but I'm also it, – it withstood a little bit of inclement weather. I have seen these things um, last year. Not this year. Last year we had what was called – because the, the war I went to was called Gulf Wars. Well, last year they actually had several tornadoes come through the area, so it got turned into Gulf NATO. <laughs> um, I got to watch video from the inside of one of these tents. Somebody was recording, watching just how much rain was hitting it. You know, you could see lightning flashing through the canvas. You could just see the wind just rippling through the whole thing, and it didn't care. So I went, well, okay, I know my tent would snap every spar it had, so um, I'm going to save up and get one of those because – I know for a fact living in Florida and anywhere else, at some point, I'm going to be in a place where there's a thunderstorm. And I want something that can actually, you know, stand up to weather. So I got it. Um, it's fully away. I'm still learning how to fold it. It's a little tricky. But for quality-wise, I love it. There's a there's a massive amount of room in it. Um, yeah. It is incredibly comfortable to stay in. I've had... No problem cleaning it. Uh, we've had most recently I came back from camping with four people in there using two queen size airbeds. Give you an idea of just how much room there is, and we still had plenty of room for all of our gear. Two queen size um, airbeds in a single tent with room. Yeah, with room, with plenty of room. That's a big we tent. Were a, <laughs> we were slightly cramped uh, because I also built a slat bed, which I now know how to do, and because it has uh, curved walls, we were a little higher off the floor than I was expecting. So while we could shove everything under the bed, I also had about four inches of clearance above my head before a wall curved over it. But I'm learning. I'm figuring out how to do beds. 
but no, it's it's an amazing amount of room. It's easy to set up. One person can do it as long as you can haul the hardware. Um, I love the damn thing, and it's it's full on heavyweight canvas with a really thick ass ground sheet. So it's going to last me quite a while, and I'm planning on using it for many many years to come. So I highly recommend getting a soul pad or you know any any of the big thick canvas bell tents like that. Hmm. So it's got just one pole in the middle. It has got essentially you've got the one main pole in the middle. You've got an A-frame pole that holds up the door, and then it's nothing but a staked-in ground sheet and staked guidelines. That's it. Of which I am going to change out the guidelines and get uh, better stakes. I'm actually going to look at somebody making me uh, eighth-inch thick rebar stakes. Oh, there you go. I, I want an F3 tornado to look up, to go over my tent, and my tent go. That's cute. I'm still staying. <laughs> nice. Okay, Goals. that's it's pretty cool. It's a uh, so about seventy pounds, not wet. Hopefully, yeah. I um, know yeah, yeah. that's one thing I'm worried about. Canvas is the idea of the high. Don't I don't care how much you really like leaving ca- like camp in the morning. You don't leave camp early in the morning. Let the tent stay up. Let it dry out. Yeah. That way you can pack it away wet and not care. <laughs> Yeah, you you really wanted to dry off a little bit, yeah. But I've I've not had a problem. I mean, it's and it actually maintains temperature really well in summer. As I experienced recently, it's going to get pretty hot, but most tents will do that. But I can open it up and get plenty of air. Um, during actually, one thing is is when we were in uh, Mississippi during Gulf Wars, it was sometimes in the forties outside of the tent. Inside the tent, it was getting up into the sixties. So it, it's it's got a little bit of insulation value the way it is. So yeah, that's pretty slick. Well, okay, so that is the Soulpad 5000Es, and Soulpad is S O U L P A D dot com. So you can go out there and check that out, folks. So that's pretty slick. Amber, what you got? Uh, I got a couple things. Um, I've got. Uh, my books, which are written under the name Lana Hart, um, there are three of them in this series called the Curious Collectible Series. Um, and if you like dark fantasy, if you like horror, um, they've been compared to the Dresden Files, the Mercy Thompson books. Um, they've been compared to the movie Audition um, for the horror oh, elements. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Uh, Needful Things by Stephen King. Um, if you like anything in that vein, um, they're definitely for you. The first one is free, um, and uh, there's two others in the th- in the series with a uh, a fourth one coming out uh, later this year. Um, so you can find those on Amazon, uh, and they're under the name Lana Hart. Uh, and like I said, the first one is free, so it's a pretty good introduction to the series, and you kind of get a feel for uh, for what you're getting into with uh, no risk to you. So the, these are so. Kindle edition. Uh, I do see yes. a couple paperbacks. How much do you get from a paperback sale at Amazon? Um, like if I was if I'm buying these, not only just to enjoy them. But also mm-hmm. to support the author in the best way possible. Which one's the best one to get? Probably the, I would say the Kindle. Really? Yeah, because the Kindle sales affect my sales rank more, 
And the lower my sales rank, as far as like toward the number one lower, um, the more attention they get. Um, whereas the physical copies are done through CreateSpace, they don't, uh, which is an Amazon-owned company, but they don't affect the the sales ranking the same way. They have their own separate ranking. Um, so I would say the Kindle ones. Well, there honest. you go, folks. Go check them out. Here first, the Curious Collectible series, Lana Hart, yes. L A N A H A R T. Look uh, and the second thing I wanted to really quickly talk about is a project by uh, John Dodonna, who does uh, Phantasmagoria. He did Division um, a couple years ago, which was uh, the Trayvon Martin project. Um, he's a, a huge influence in the theater community, and um, he's got a show going on right now at Valencia College East Campus called Creation Births of Mythology. Um and it's all about creation myths from a bunch of different cultures um, and how they connect us as a species. And it's got some really cool puppet work, like giant ass puppets, um, a lot of uh, like action going on, a lot of uh, magic. It's it just seems like a really interesting show. I'm going to go see it on the 14th um, and it runs until the 16th. And uh Tickets for students are ten dollars, and for adults, they're twelve. And this is in Orlando. Yeah. Okay. Since who knows where our audience actually is, we need to specify. Yeah, Valencia specify College those, East uh, Campus those is in Orlando. Excellent. So, John's a great guy. Yes, he's a he great is. guy. So very, very talented, and he always surrounds himself with extra talented people. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a good show. All right, folks. Uh, oh wait, Fred. Yeah. <laughs> not do, a person. do you have a pick? Oh no. Um, he's he's not a person. He's a people. Yeah, I'm a people, and I, I want to make sure that other people got their picks in. So, um, I uh, I mean, I guess the two quick things. Obviously, you talked about ReasonCon, which I'm ridiculously excited about. Um, besides the live game cast, which I'm probably one of the most excited for. Um, I'm excited because I'll be able to pick up a copy of uh, another book that Amber was uh, at least had a hand in called False Start. And that is by um, a former guest we had on the show, Marissa Alexa McCool. Uh, we talked about the book she had previously, which was The PC Lie. Mm-hmm. Um, this new book is a, um, not a collection of essays. This is an actual novel that she worked on. Um, but she does have contributors to this book as well. Um, of which I was able to contribute again. So I'll be able to pick up copies because they're, they'll be available for the first time at ReasonCon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've already pre-ordered mine, so I'll be able to get my hands on it, read the novel, and then also, um, you know, very selfishly read my piece um, and share it with the person I wrote it for because it wasn't written for me. Um, so, it, you know, I, I'm looking forward to that. And, um, you know, the other thing that... Uh, just another quick one is uh, something that I'm just interested in doing because I haven't played the game probably since high school, but on April 15th um, at 
you know, random stores, and you can check this out pretty much anywhere, is uh, Magic the Gathering is actually having an opening house, like an open house event, where they're, you know, bringing players, trying to get more people playing. They'll give away a, a welcome deck and basically explain the game to people who have never played or refresh people who haven't played in a while. Or if you play all the time, you know, you just get the opportunity to sit down with people and show them um, the game. So that is, you know, coming up next uh, next weekend. And basically, all you got to do is go to, um, you know, like magic.wizards.com. That'll take you right to uh, the open house event page. And, you know, you can put in your area and see, like, what shops in your area might be hosting this event. Because um, they're pretty much all over. If you look at the map that's on the page, almost the entire U.S. is covered with little dots where they're doing it. So, well, very Three cool. of our Orlando listeners, I'm fairly certain that uh, a number of our, our local local businesses will be participating. Uh, and as for Marissa's book, um, there's two places you can pre-order it from. You can pre-order it directly um, through her at uh, reesmacool.com, which is R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L.com. Or you can uh, pre-order it through the publisher, um, which is Wormwood Publishing. I hear they're you, good. You, yes, I hear they're they're really great at editing too. Um, <laughs> it's uh, but the the website for that is wormwoodpublishing.com/books. There's also a profile of Marissa um, on Wormwood site, um, so you can get to know her a little bit better too. Excellent, and uh, maybe we can get her get her back on the show. I think that'd be a that'd be a good thing to do. So yeah. See what we can do. And it's not I, like she's not going to have anything to talk about. Oh no, no, no! She doesn't have a mouth on her at all. No, that's that's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> no ideas in that head at all. Of course not. I kid. Of course. <laughs> I kid. I kid. I kid. I kid. with the greatest of Christian love. Oh. No, we don't do that around here. Okay. So, <laughs> if you've enjoyed what we do here and you'd like to help us out, there's a few ways. You can donate to the show through www.patreon.com slash radio. That's O-R-L-Y-R-A-D-I-O. And get early access to show content if life ever actually lets me do such a thing. And um, <clears throat> you can make the algorithm work for us by reviewing us on iTunes to give us a, a little boost to our ranking, get us in front of more people. You can use your words. Tell somebody about us. Get, get us in front of other people. And of course, engage with us directly. Send us a message on the social medias or the electronic mails at Podcast at gmail.com. Or if you're the more talkative sort, we got that voice line 470-222-6759. It's always ready to take your call or your text. And if you and don't, if you don't like what oh we have this it. evening, okay. <laughs> you can contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. Available twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. The Lifeline provides uh, free and confidential support for people in distress, prevention and crisis resources for you or your loved ones, and best practices for professionals. Thank you for choosing to waste your valuable time with us. This has been O'Reilly Radio, part of the Random Axe Company. This work license under Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 United States license, including Music Rocket and Pimgia, created by Kevin McLeod of Incomptech.com. And hopefully I'll have all the technical issues sorted out so that we can stream to you live every Friday and bring you the best of the worst of the news. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.
And that's a wrap. (laughs) We survived! Barely. Somehow, some way. (laughs) That has still got to be one of my favorite closes to any show I listen to or I'm a part of. In that, if you don't like what we do, you must want to kill yourself. Please call this fucking number. (laughs) Don't kill yourself. We need the audience. (laughs) We don't know why you got this far, but please. It's amazing that you got this far. Obviously, you don't have any control over the player. (laughs) 